Greetings and salutations, friends, and welcome back to The Arcade. We are once again your video game podcast here, coming at you for the first time in the month of March. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? I am Mike the Legend, who's so glad to be back with you once again. Finally, it has happened. The fates have aligned. The stars have blessed you with this, a new episode of The Arcade, and we are so glad that you are listening to us once again, and so glad that we can be back together again to bring it to you, as uh, various obligations, such as work and life, have kept us out of the recording studio for the last several weeks. But here we are, once again, back together, and it's so good to be back together. I can only imagine the things we have to talk about. (laughs) Yes, and this week I I'm Dennis, the man who is regretfully at the point in his life where he can excitedly talk, excitedly now talk about the specs of a snowblower with his friends. <laughs> and in the time away, Dennis has become a very old man. <laughs> yeah, as one does, you yes. know, during these continuing to be unprecedented times that we <laughs> are currently constantly living through now. Yes, after a while, when the unprecedented times become precedent... <laughs> Yes. You'd think so? But no! Yeah, to to kind of quote what I saw one of the uh, uh, Cyanide and Happiness author guys say on Twitter, he's getting very tired of uh, living through what will eventually be considered a very interesting time in a history textbook. <laughs> fair. Absolutely fair. And, and one of the footnotes in history will be that uh, it sounds like you've recently uh, uh, come into a snowblower. Yeah, well, and you as well. Yes, it's true, actually. <laughs> we spent a considerable amount of time before this recording swapping snowblower stories, because we've both become old men who own gas-powered snowblowers now. Yeah, but more importantly, I think, it's just because it's at a point where, if you know where we're from, we're from Winnipeg. If I don't know where you're listening to this program from. If you're not from Winnipeg, thanks for listening. I mean... The algorithm is doing something for us, I suppose, or whatever you want to say. But, All uh, praise to the algorithm. <laughs> yes, but where we're from, we're currently in the middle of the most snow that our place of living, which is Winnipeg, Manitoba. Canada. Has, Canada, which has gotten in, I believe, 110 years. Something like that? I think it's the the third snowiest, uh, third highest snowfall to this point, uh, I think since records have started being kept. And I read it was number one, but we were on pace to be first anyways, or something mm-hmm. along those lines of just, at this point in the year, we're third overall, but like, we're on pace to be more, because where we're at in the year, we're further along than these other mm-hmm. two or three times, so... And certainly it is more snow than you and I have seen in our lifetimes. Yeah. The the worst of which previous was 1997, which led to a horrible flood, which I'm not looking forward to, because I know <laughs> we have a little bit of a water problem in the basement anyways, and, well, that's going to be a bad time when that starts to melt, and I've been doing my damnedest to try to keep... In doing my damnedest to try to keep snow away from the house... You know, we we came into a snowblower, which has been a nice welcome addition to the uh, <laughs> the arsenal, the arsenal of tools in trying to do that. So, um, yeah, good God. And for my end, I, I purchased a gas-powered snowblower, not a big horkin monster of a machine, but uh, basically a one-stage, next level up from a uh, an electric snow thrower. Yeah, you know, roughly the same form factor, just more oomph to it because I was getting to the point where I'd have literally have to lift up a shovel full of snow to my pecs. 
and then stand on my tippy toes to dump it up and over the giant snow pile that I'm dealing with, because we have that much snow, and it doesn't stop. And as the one who does uh, the majority of the snow clearing, it's it's getting to the point where the shovel isn't going to do it anymore, and little electric snowblower is basically just throwing the snow at a wall. Yeah. And it just trickles back down. And some kind of sticks to the wall, but some just falls back down. So needed a little something extra, so uh gas-powered snowblower it is. And uh, now we can both swap snowblower stories. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I think, a comment we've made before on this program. Uh If you've been listening to our show for any period of time, you'll know that we started as bread-eyed, bushy-tailed young men, and now we've just become old men. <laughs> The bright well, eyes and bushy tail have fallen away. They're vestigial anyway, so... Yeah, well, this show, show started in 2006, which was 16 years ago, so... Well, when you say it factually like that, it sounds like a long time. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, over the course of the last 16 years, well, when we started, that would have been us early, in our early 20s. Early 20s. Now we're in our mid to late 30s. Yep. So, hmm. Time. Time Time changes the man, and... uh <laughs> Yeah. So previously, at that point, initial point uh, in the show's history in our lives, we'd be very excited and all the bonds about, you know, some new video game, some interesting whatever movie comes along or, or big comic book uh, series or something. And now it's we get really jazzed and excited about tools. Tools, snowblowers, kitchen gadgets, you know, various, you know... Cars, we were talking about cars before too. Cars, maybe like, you know, waxing about what might be a good investment in the stock market, things like exactly. that. Exactly. Like, hmm. Yeah. It creeps up on you. Yeah. A word of warning to anyone younger out there. Uh, it creeps up on you. It's not uh, as though you wake up one day and it's like, oh, I'm old. No, it, it slowly, gradually happens. Yeah. And you really start to notice it in the workplace. More and more, when you start realizing, oh, the people I'm working with who are on my team, I graduated high school after they were born, maybe. <laughs> or, well, or not, something like that. Or something like that. I mean, it's, it's almost that point for me where when people are talking about like their childhoods, like, oh, I was playing this game and doing this and whatever. I'm like, what? That was like five years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, wait. I'm a lot older than you. Yes. Oh, never mind. You'll notice the references that you'll drop perhaps aren't picked up by them. Yeah. Totally missed by everyone. It's just like, wait, what? Huh? Like, I'm sure I've told it on this program before, but one of my coworkers was talking about how it was before the movie was released and before I think it had a name, but it turned out to be the movie Nobody starring Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Okay. That big kind of action movie starring him. That was filmed here in Winnipeg. It was filmed here, but a lot of the exterior shots of the house was my coworker's mom's neighbor. Cool. So they got to see all this like movie stuff happen on their street. And as far as I know, my coworker got to meet Bob Odenkirk. And when she mentioned, she's like, oh, the guy's name, uh, what was it? Bob? Well, he was, he was on Breaking Bad. I'm like, you met Bob Odenkirk? I'm like, what? I, I got super excited because I'm like, he was on Mr. Show. Like, my God, like he was, you know. He's one of the early alt comedy standards. I'm like, you met Bob Odenkirk? She, she had no idea why I was excited. And it was just like, oh. Uh, oh, okay. Well, that, that's cool. I'm like, damn it. It was lost. Lost <laughs> on you. I would have been like, man, that, I would have excited and been like, yeah, 
I'd gladly take a picture with this guy. I'm meeting Bob Odenkirk, for God's sakes. But no, that level of excitement wasn't there. It was more just general, like, oh, we get to see a Hollywood movie being made, which is exciting, I guess. Certainly. It's like, come on, (laughs) Bob freaking Odenkirk. Like, (laughs) good God. So, so probably to your coworker, it's just Bob Odenkirk, the guy from TV. He did this role on Breaking Bad, and okay, so. he was on Better Call Saul yeah, or whatever. It's no. like, okay, but so he's done some TV. That that's all. But it's like no, but he's like he's a legendary comedy writer, like Mr. Show. Have you ever seen Mr. Show? Oh my god! Like he's like the American Kids in the Hall, and then they'd be like, who? And that'd be like, no. <laughs> And then you'd have to go home for the day because you're too distraught to continue. Yeah, because I threw my back out. So mad. <laughs> threw your back out, just crying to the heavens. Yeah, <laughs> that your references were not landing with the the youth coworkers you have yeah. amongst you. Yeah, the youth coworkers who, in response to, it's like kids in the hall. What in the what? It's like, damn it. Never mind. I'll just slink into my old man corner and. Uh, <laughs> Just play some old songs on repeat here. <laughs> yes. Things that comfort me, but, but it happens. So, uh, uh, certainly we need, uh, mechanical snow blowing equipment where we live. And, uh, I'm sure we're not the only ones. Uh, from what I can tell, it's been a very snow heavy winter in a lot of places as yeah. well. Certainly uh, across Canada and, and North America, especially in the northern snowier states. Like it's been bad. Quite bad. Absolutely. So, uh, if you know, you know, snowblowers, well worth it. Yes, and we can hear and understand the, the griping and argument that it's, well, it's putting more emissions into the air and, and burning fuels and fossil fuels. Yes, we get that, but... But do you drive a car? Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> so it's like, you run your car for five minutes, it's worse than a snowblower, probably for like an hour, so... <laughs> and at the same time, um, we have to save our vessels, our bodies... <laughs> Only have so much in them. Yeah. I mean... We're tired of shoveling. Yeah. Shoveling sucks. <laughs> like, it truly sucks. Like, given the amount of snow we've had, especially in the last two months here, uh, it is, it's been nonstop. It's been relentless. And so your body doesn't really have a lot of time to recuperate before there's more, you know, significant amount of snowfall that requires clearing. Yeah. And after a while, the body just can't do it. Yeah. The body just starts to get tired and gives out, and that's where mechanized solutions come in. Mm-hmm. And if they are gas-powered, so much better. It means they have more oomph. Yeah. Send the snow further, and uh, that's all that matters. Yeah. I certainly like mine because it was digging down to the grass. Yeah, and I, I like mine because, you know, it was able to chew through, like, two-week-old impacted snow dunes, essentially. <laughs> so, which, you know... Shovels weren't even really doing that. I think we we had to get a couple of new shovels because one of them just started to kind of crack, and it was like, well, holy crap. The winter that destroyed a shovel. Yeah. The snow demanded a sacrifice. Yeah. So we're also old men who just banter about snow and the weather now, and that's uh, what we're good for. Yeah, well, so you've this has been, um, you know... Uh, Welcome to Old Man Corner, yeah. and uh, later on we'll tell you uh, really the secret to a nice pastrami on rye. <laughs> As long as the bread is gluten free. Again, old man corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. From and that. what new medication we're taking this week? <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right, let's move on. <laughs> new segment: mole or liver spot? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're not quite that old. Let's let's not. 
Let's not age ourselves up too much here. <laughs> Fair point. Instead, we'll get back to what we enjoy talking about uh, very much on the show is uh, video games and video game related topics, news items that uh, uh, maybe you heard about and need some more context and, and uh, story filled in or perhaps didn't even cross your wire at all. Entirely possible this first story, our ludicrous leadoff this week, did not even hit your wire given that the news cycle over the last couple of weeks has been filled with a lot of doom, gloom, uh, prophecies of World War Three, etc., etc. Amen. So this one perhaps you didn't even hear about, but kind of fits into a recurring topic we have seen come across in a lot of news stories really over the past, say, 14 months, if not a bit longer, that theme being collectibles going for way too much money, exorbitant amounts of money, and we've seen it and talked about it ad nauseum with the video game uh, side of collectibles. Retro video games, rare, hard-to-find, one-offs. Uh, there was the story last summer of Mario 64, the sealed copy that went for over a million dollars. Yeah. That uh, had really no justifiable reason to go no. for that much. There's also the accusations that a lot of it is grift in the same way that a lot of NFTs seem to be a grift. What? You know? No. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, you know, the, the whole thing of... You know, people buying NFTs in quotation marks for exorbitant amounts of money mm-hmm. and then selling them for even more exorbitant amounts of money. But then you kind of look at the names. You're like, oh, it's kind of going in the same circles here to bump all these prices up. So is it is money actually exchanging hands or or what? <laughs> Fair point. Is it all just uh, paper transactions and all things look good, but nothing perhaps is really being exchanged? Yeah. Like, are, are these all, are these people kind of artificially bumping the prices of these things up just to kind of make it appear like these things are worth more than they're actually worth? And how many people are actually involved in the buying of these things? Yeah. Yeah. Who's all behind the usernames? Yeah. We don't know, but we also do not know who paid 900,000 US dollars for a Pokemon card. Yeah. Because that's the ludicrous leadoff. A Pokemon card sold at auction uh, at the f- tail end of February for 900,000 US dollars. And uh, let's clear this up right away. This is not heritage auctions being involved in seemingly inflating figures or with any sort of ridiculous, uh, if, uh, Rating of condition done by Wata, who seem to have an affiliation with Heritage Auctions. This is done by an entirely separate auction outfit called Golden, and they announced this week that they sold, or announced at the end of February that they sold a holographic Illustrator Pikachu Pokemon card from 1998 for the sum total of 900,000 US dollars. The identity of the purchaser has not been made known, and it's also not quite entirely known why the winning bid at 900,000 was so high and shattered the previous record for a very similar uh, Pikachu Illustrator Pokemon card that sold at auction for 375,000 roughly one year ago. Yeah. So almost triple the price in one year. Yeah, so something sketchy does seem like there's happening there, but as far as we know at the moment, this does seem legit, so I guess we have to kind of go with that. But And there is, at least with this very specific type of Pokemon card, it is a legitimately rare card. The yeah. Illustrator Pikachu card, uh, there really have not been many of them out there in the wild. 
No. Uh, there's actually only been 40 known to exist, according to the grading firm PSA, and this one that sold at auction was rated as Near Mint 7. So only one other copy of the Illustrator Pikachu card has been graded at the same Near Mint condition. Offers uh, on this auction for this particular Illustrator Pikachu card started at $75,000 and a bidding war happened and ultimately resulting in the 900000 US dollar sale price. So uh, to put this in perspective, back in 2019, a Mint 9 rated Illustrator, Illustrator Pikachu card sold for $195,000. And then in 2021, a Near Mint 7 card, so same condition as this one, lesser then the Mint 9 sold at auction for 375000 So, yeah, uh, rare Pokemon cards. Seemingly, this is the boom time. Yeah, so if you have any, uh, <laughs> try to get in on it now, because I don't know how much longer this is going to last. Seems like it's a bubble. Seems like it's a bubble. Yeah, you'd think so, right? But yet, uh... And eventually bubbles burst, but this bubble hasn't burst yet? No, and it's been going on for... It's only been growing. Yeah. Uh, though, who knows how how much of, uh, you know, the impact of COVID and all that stuff has impacted this, too. Like, it hasn't been a normal time for anything, so why would it be a normal time for anything? True enough. Right? So, I don't know. Now, but- if you are wondering what makes this... Illustrator Pikachu card so unique, it was drawn by Pikachu's creator, Astuko Nishida, and only a few dozen copies were produced as prizes for promotional contests through a Japanese magazine. So, yeah, that's, that's still a lot of uh, highly inflated prices going for these Illustrator Pikachu cards. Yeah. So, no word yet if one of the Paul brothers got in on this action, because they have a penchant for spending ridiculous amounts of money on Pokemon cards. And, and NFTs. And F- <laughs> NFTs and things of that nature, but uh, I'm sure if they could, they would. Yeah. And then make a video about it, and it would go, you know, viral, they'd have like 20 million views, and then they make, basically make the money back on what they spent for the card. Yeah. And then some. So, because the world is uh, skewed, and nothing makes sense anymore. No. And we continue our downward spiral down the drain. Unfortunately, yes. But But speaking uh, (laughs) of money and big sums, yeah, continuing on with another theme we've seen really through the course of 2022, mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So, this one is actually a very interesting one. Um, Remember how Epic Games is sort of seems like they're waging war on Apple? Yes. Well, one of the big things that, you know, has made Apple a lot of money, I'm sure, through the years, is the iTunes store. Absolutely. You know, a a place where artists can kind of put their music up and have it sold through this wider ecosystem to have people in all sorts of different walks of life with, as long as you have an iPhone or an iPad or iPod or whatever, you can buy music through it and get it. And I'm sure Epic Games thought... It'd be nice for us to have a thing like that. So they they now have a thing like that. And the thing like that, uh, you may have heard of it before. It's a thing called Bandcamp. Now, I've had music through listed through Bandcamp for years now. Mm-hmm. And it's a great service. Uh, it's the most, I think, the most artist-friendly e-commerce front out there. Because, like, they don't take very much of a cut. 
and they have lots of regularly, they have lots of regular times when they actually drop all of their fees just because of, you know, trying to promote artists having like, you know, sale weekends or whatever, where it's like, Hey, this is our no fee weekend where artists can make the most money and et cetera, et cetera. But I guess Epic saw this and went, huh? I wasn't aware Bandcamp itself was for sale, but again, for the right price, anything's for sale. It's true. You and I are for sale for the right price. Yeah, essentially. Um, but yeah, in a statement shared on the Bandcamp blog, which, and also went out as an email if you are a Bandcamp artist or have bought music through Bandcamp before and opted into their email services and stuff, uh, the co-founder and CEO, Ethan Diamond, explained that the company will continue operating as a standalone marketplace and music community following the acquisition that he'll continue in the role of CEO. And I quote from Diamond is, uh, the products and services you depend on aren't going anywhere. We'll continue to build Bandcamp around our artist's first revenue model where artists net an average of 82% of every sale. You'll still have the same control over how you offer your music. Bandcamp Fridays will continue as planned and the daily will help keep highlighting the diverse, amazing music on the site. So yeah, um, actual users of Bandcamp are basically not likely to see any immediate changes post acquisition. Uh, and the company, as part of this press release, uh, Diamond said that, uh, they'll be working with Epic in the background to expand internationally and quote unquote push development forward across its services. And further quotes here from basics like our album pages, mobile apps, merch tools, payment system, and search and discovery features to newer initiatives like our vinyl pressing and live streaming services. End quote. So yeah, I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic about something like this. Bandcamp is a great platform and it's really, it's always good to see alternatives to the big, the big players, right? Like the, like the Apple music and the Google play store and all that stuff. Spotify. Spotify. Exactly. Yeah. Just a little bit of a side rant here. If you have a Spotify account, just FYI, artists get paid almost nothing when you're streaming their music on Spotify. Isn't it like hundreds of a penny? Thousands of a penny. Thousands of a penny. From what I recall, last time I checked one of our reports, and it was like something along the lines of like, you'll get a penny if your song is streamed something like a thousand times. Oh, okay. Something stupid like that, where it's like, great. What? Okay. So you're... So the music has no value to Spotify. Yeah. And yet, the CEO is a multi-billionaire. Figure out how that one works. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so I know everyone has this weird aversion to paying for things now, even though you technically already are paying for things with whatever you're advertising and stuff you're viewing. And in many ways, it's way worse to just kind of watch and engage with a bunch of ads than just pay a couple of bucks and get the thing you want. But I digress. If you really want to support an artist and you see their music is up on Bandcamp, buy it from Bandcamp. Like, for the love of God, buy it from Bandcamp. And if they say, oh, Bandcamp Friday is happening in particular, buy it then, because that means they're getting 100% of the money. Interesting. So, like, if 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 you're buying a digital album for five bucks, and it's, you know, ten songs, you're paying 50 cents a song, that's way more money that they're getting from that one sale alone than they would have gotten from thousands of streams on Spotify. Is it possibly years worth of, you know streams on Spotify. Yeah. So just food for thought. And I mean, if, if Epic can help the Bandcamp ecosystem kind of expand out and maybe 
develop into a more maybe equitable way for artists, maybe even as a streaming platform, Mm -hmm. if it's more equitable for artists than Spotify is, they might have like a killer on their hands. Like a Spotify killer, I mean. Could this be the a, a long-term vision to to make things equitable for everyone and in the music space? That would be really cool. I'd be happy with that. Uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, they've started Epic Games it has you know waged war on Apple and and the digital marketplaces, and uh, doesn't think it fair that the purveyors of these marketplaces take their take their cut, their thirty percent fees or whatnot, which. I mean, granted, the stores, you know, Apple, Google, and some have announced they'll reduce the their cut to fifteen percent. Fine, that's still fifteen percent for doing nothing. Yeah. So, uh, interesting. Now, I think from a Bandcamp perspective too, what this does is it bolsters bolsters you, gives you the certainty of financial backing. Yeah. To maybe go forward and do a lot of, you know, wild stretch goals. Mm-hmm. Knowing that uh, you're going, you have money there, and I wonder if we're going to see integration between Bandcamp and uh, other things like the Epic Games Store. Yeah, like if you're maybe even, or I- I'm thinking in terms of like even just, you know, maybe thinking outside of the box a little bit, because they also acquired another company called uh, ArtStation last April, and a 3D model ArtStation being a. Uh, Artist portfolio job listing marketplace site back in April. And so kind of like LinkedIn, but specifically artists. Yeah. And then back in July, they, they acquired a 3D model marketplace called Sketchfab. So <clears throat> maybe all of these different pieces put together might also be an expansion of ability for tools to get tools and assets to be licensed in video games. And it might be a streamlined approach to that. Like if you are an artist and you have your music up on Bandcamp, there might be an option for you to opt into, hey, I want X amount of percent of sales of some game if a game uses this song. Mm-hmm. Sure. Interesting. And it might be an, a further unexpected windfall for artists. And, and if you're a and uh, development studio or, you know, even just a, a homebrew hacker, you know, making a game or whatnot using the, un, uh, using the, the Unreal uh, Engine. Unreal whatever. Engine, yeah. yes. Uh, does that confer to you then all these other or access to all these other assets, art assets, music assets. Maybe. By virtue of Bandcamp, by virtue of, like, Sketchfab or something like that. Yeah. And maybe it turns into a thing of, like, hey, this song will cost me for every dollar that I make on my game, I have to give two cents to this artist. Okay, whatever. If you sell 50 million copies of a game, hmm, suddenly everyone's making a lot more money. And it was easy. <laughs> And the I'm, integration between the two in yeah. the development process would be made easier, yeah. presumably. I'm thinking very far ahead. Oh, yes. None of this was announced yet, but, you know, as someone who's worked on products and stuff before, I, I know this is the type of thing that product people like to look at and dream and dream big and go, holy crap, this could be really cool. So this isn't the first, you know, you mentioned there the other companies that Epic Games has bought in the last, say, year, uh, in the last four years, alongside Bandcamp now and ArtStation and Sketchfab, Epic Games has bought other companies such as, uh, Cloud, or CloudGin, Quixel, Super Awesome, HyperSense, Rad Games, uh, Rad Games Tools, Tonic Games Group, uh, which is 
something that includes Fall Guys developer Mediatonic and Fortitude Games. Plus, they bought Psyonix, the makers of Rocket League, and Harmonix, the developers of Rock Band, and who previously worked on Guitar Hero. Yeah. So, Epic Games is in acquisition mode for the last couple years. Yeah. And we haven't really seen them coalesce everything into, like, one solidified, unified vision or approach yet. No. Which, you know, is their right as a privately traded Certainly. company. Like, they can do whatever they want. They're not really beholden to anyone. No. And that's fair. But you got to wonder, what is the end game with all of this? What's going to happen? Because everything seems like a disparate part at this point. Yeah. But between the art assets, the music assets, the development studios, such as uh, Mediatonic, Sonics, Harmonics, like... There's something brewing, it seems like, with Epic Games, plus the the launch of the Epic Games Store. Yeah. Like, there's something brewing. I don't know if we'll see it come to fruition this year or n- next year, but almost like they're planting the seeds for something. Yeah, it's like they have a five-year plan that they're just getting the ducks in a row for. Yes, absolutely. And I think we'll see it all play out in the years ahead, but not anytime soon. There's likely more acquisitions coming from Epic Games, too, I'd imagine. Oh, probably. So we'll see how this all plays itself out, but it's a very interesting, interesting approach. Would have never thought Bandcamp would have been bought. Also, I never really pictured them as like a business operation or some company. I just always felt they were some sort of, for lack of a better term, like a charitable music thing <laughs> service for, to give a, a more benef- uh, beneficial platform to artists and bands. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I can guarantee you and say, yes, my band has made way more money on Bandcamp than any other platform probably combined. Interesting. So. Well, not, I, I mean, good. Yeah. I mean, not, that's not to say that we're like rolling in money from it or anything. Like we're talking about like. Oh, I know. see what you're writing. I can tell no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I still have a day job, and everyone else in my band also still has a day job, let's just say. But, you know, it's if we can put music out there and if some developer wants to use it for the next, you know, Minecraft or something, and it suddenly becomes this massive, like, everyone knows our song because of it, I'd be happy with that. If it's very little work for me, it's if it's just a check mark to have to save, like, yeah, anyone anyone can opt in and use this song, and uh, Bandcamp will handle the licensing. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. As opposed to you individually having to deal with everything, the legalities, paperwork, or whatnot. Yeah. Interesting. No, I can certainly see that. And on Bandcamp, there's a wide array of of, of music styles, artists, uh, yeah. um, genres, you name it. So, uh, very unique approach. We'll see it all plays itself out. Uh, specific dollar amounts were not announced because they did not need to be announced because both parties were private. Yeah. So nothing needed to be announced publicly. Yeah, exactly. But I can't imagine it was, you know, billions of dollars, let's say. No, exactly. Or maybe it was. Who knows? Yeah, Bandcamp really had all the leverage in this. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Who knows? But uh, speaking of mergers and acquisitions, uh, as we've seen throughout the course of this year, Nintendo getting in on that sweet, sweet M&A action. Yeah. Announcing recently that they 
are buying a small company that they've worked with since 1984. Yeah, a little company called SRD, which is Systems Research and Development, which is a company that's helped in programming some of the most iconic Nintendo games, including the original Super Mario Brothers. So they've been around, and Nintendo is acquiring 100% of SRD's outstanding shares for an undisclosed sum, making the studio a wholly owned subsidiary. In a press release, uh, Nintendo said, quote, SRD is a development company which has been closely involved for nearly four decades in developing Nintendo video game software. Oh, sorry, founded in 1979. I, I was mistaken, I said 1984. No, SRD was founded in 1979. They began working with Nintendo on the Famicom, assisting with programming not only the console version of Donkey Kong, but also Super Mario Brothers. Studio has reportedly been involved with almost every Zelda game and recently worked on Ring Fit Adventure and Animal Crossing New Horizons. And so it's not exactly known how many games SRD has worked on, but it's uh, it's a fair number of games considering they've been around for four decades and seems like they've almost been a Nintendo go-to studio for that time. Well, if their name is System Research and Development... Uh it almost sounds like they're the ones that might become the hardware experts for every Nintendo platform that exists. Mm. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised if they've been used as a resource in most Nintendo games that have been made, if that's the case. Certainly. So why wouldn't you want to just have that as an in-house thing? It's beyond me. But, you know, I'm I'm not a multi-billion dollar company like Nintendo, so who knows? So now, but they are bringing it in house now, uh, bringing it all in house. Uh, another quote here from the press release: "Completion of the acquisition will serve to strengthen the management base of SRD and secure the availability of software development resources for Nintendo, in addition to facilitating an anticipated improvement in software development efficiency." End quote. So Nintendo expects the acquisition to be completed on April first, which is the start of the new financial year in Japan. Yeah. Which, I mean, good for SRD. I mean, I would imagine that the goal of most most companies is to either be bought out or go public and make major bank, right? Like, unless you're, unless it's like a personal company that's more tied to like your life or something, and it's like, well, I'm, you know, Joe Smith cabinets or something, and mm-hmm. this is just what you do, like, you know, like otherwise, what's the point of having a business like that other than to just kind of become some like the part of something bigger or whatnot. So yeah, and if they were tangentially related to Nintendo for literally the past like forty three years, why wouldn't Nintendo just have bought them earlier? That doesn't seem like seems weird to me. That's a fair question. You know, like at some point they would have put a ring on it after all this time. Yeah. But perhaps in the invite, you know, it may have been ne- really never been a threat that someone might, someone else might buy them. Yeah, but it it sounds like you know that that one statement made there of like to uh to further uh like secure the availability of software development resources. Maybe the maybe word got out. Hey, SRD is great for X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Like you know, book their services, and it got to a point where like. Nintendo probably was assuming it could have literally been a thing of just like, um, ah, we can just call on SRD whenever we want. And they're like, well, no, like we're booked up for the next eight months. It's like, what? Well, fine. We'll just buy you then <laughs> for God's sakes and dump it, whatever other business you have. You're working for us now. So yeah, 
good position to be in. That means that SRD probably had all the leverage there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, obviously would have uh, negotiated something they, you know, agreed to and were happy with. So uh, rare for Nintendo to make an acquisition. And often when they do, it's a small scale deal like this. Yeah. Uh, I believe, was it last year or a year before they bought a Canadian studio, studio known as Next Level Games, who worked on... Who's worked with Nintendo for a couple decades, like two, three decades. Again. (laughs) Yeah, they worked on Super Mario Strikers and more recently worked on uh, Luigi's Mansion 3 for the Switch. Yeah, but again, kind of following that theme of like, you know, maybe they were just kind of assuming that that company would be available to do X, Y, or Z. And then eventually they weren't. And it was like, well, fine. We like your work and we want to – we know you deliver in a timely fashion, so – We'll just buy you, and here's our offer, <laughs> and hopefully it's a generous one. So, yes, I don't see Nintendo taking the Simpsons, uh, Bill Gates approach. No, <laughs> buy him out, boys. <laughs> yes, and just ruin Homer's kitchen. Yeah, yeah, uh, or dining room area. So, so yeah, Nintendo making a small scale acquisition, kind of bolstering, uh, likely just reaffirming their. Uh, I guess third party support. Um, kind of makes me wonder if uh, they've. Maybe consummated their relationship with Retro Studios, the developers of like Metroid Prime for years and years and years. Uh, are they first party? Are they third party still? Are they second party where they're separate and, you know, their own business entity, but have like exclusive dealings with N- Nintendo? Like at this point, companies are consolidating, buying available companies. Maybe Nintendo should just go by the ones that are close to them and ensure they have the ones they want going forward. Yeah. Like the company that made the next games that we're talking about in the next story. Absolutely, because this next story has us talking about an actual honest-to-goodness video game. Yeah. A new one that was announced right at the tail end of February during the company's Pokemon Day presentation. Pokemon Day 2022 saw the announcement of an all-new Pokemon uh entry in the mainline series, Pokemon Scarlet. Pokemon Violet being announced as coming to the Switch late 2022. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it might come as a surprise to you that Nintendo does not own the Pokemon company. No, they are co-owners. Yes, but they don't outright own the Pokemon company. No. So they own a one third, one third, one third share, excuse me, of the Pokemon company. It's them, Game Freak, and, uh, some other company. Yeah. That's still within, like, the orbit uh, and whatnot. But, yeah, they are co-owners. Yeah. It is conceivable that if they really wanted to, they the the two-thirds could get away from Nintendo if they wanted to. And that could be disastrous for Nintendo if that ever happened. Very much so. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, hey, Nintendo, just based on that last story that we just talked about here, um, hmm, hmm. Anyways, uh, continuing on I, with this talk I see the about- point you're making, and uh, maybe that's something we'll see uh, yeah. through the course of this year or next year. Uh, but uh, in the here and now, we do know that Scarlet and Violet were announced. And again, kind of, I don't know if I'm as impressed by the clever nature of, of these paired names for this e- entry in the Pokemon series. No, like when you think like Scarlet is like a red and Violet's a purple, are those opposites? Like, if you go back to the original Pokemon, red and blue, fire and ice, of course, it makes sense. Yes. Like, diamond, sapphire, like, all the things normally, like, seem like they're, like, 
Ruby and Sapphire. Ruby and Sapphire, like a blue and a red. Like, okay, but still kind of continuing that fire and ice theme going up. Yeah. Like, is- gold and silver, diamond and pearl. Yeah, up and down. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sword and shield. Yeah. But they're, they're things that complement, but also are pretty much opposite to one another. When you think scarlet and violet, that's a weird two words to put together. It's scarlet and violet, so it's like ketchup and grape jelly? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> grape juice and tomato juice. And gra- mm. <laughs> You're right. Those don't go together. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm giving myself the heebie-jeebies thinking about that mouthfeel. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Disgusting. Right? <laughs> so, regardless, this uh, new game, again, slated for launch on the Switch late this year, 2022. Uh, not much has been shown off, but we do know a few things about the game, first and foremost, and I guess most importantly, we know the three starting Pokemon that trainers will have access to in the game. Uh, there is, of course, uh, a fire type, a water type, and a grass type. The grass type is a cat named Sprigatito. There's a fire crocodile that looks like it was inspired by an apple named Fue Coco and a duck that is the water type that kind of looks like it's loosely inspired by Donald Duck because it's got a quite a, a pompadour, you know, thick hairstyle that's blue, but also the hair looks like it could be somewhat like a tam off Donald Duck's head. So the, the water duck is named Quaxley. Of course it is. So there's that. Uh, yeah. Uh, so apparently Pokemon Scarlet and Violent... Uh, violent? <laughs> Pokemon Violent. <laughs> Pokemon Violence. Uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet are an evolutionary step for the Pokemon franchise, according to the press release, as these games will feature an open world where various towns with no borders blend seamlessly into the wilderness, end quote. So kind of making it sound like it's uh, in the vein of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Yeah. Where it's kind of wide open. And there's people in towns and Pokemon just kind of everywhere. And the Pokemon company also noting that the Pokemon can be seen everywhere in this wide open world, in the skies, in the sea, and on the streets. Uh, on the street corner, they've had a rough go of life. Uh, yeah, having to drop their pants for food, etc., etc. Et asking if you're looking to party. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a good look for them, <laughs> you know, on those rough streets of uh, <laughs> Pokemon Violet and... Scarlet, Scarlet Town. Town. Yeah, the towns haven't been announced, but from what has been shown off in the footage, uh, people are speculating online that this new region in the Pokemon universe might be inspired by, say, Italy or Spain or, like, the Mediterranean. Well, I mean, hence some of the names of the Pokemon. I mean, Sprigatillo and Fuecoco. And Quaxley. I mean, Quaxley doesn't make any That's very sense. North American. Yeah, very, yeah, quite North American. Like, ah, there's Quaxley, or maybe... British, oh, Lord Quaxley. Yeah. Which is, you know, they could have given him a more Italian-sounding name, right? They could have. There's room for improvement on yeah. that one. <laughs> what it evolves into, on the, what the evolutionary names will be, we don't know. But uh, so uh, we do know Sparigatito, the grass cat, has the overgrow ability, and its description says they are capricious and attention-seeking. So... Ooh. A shithead cat. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I speak as someone lifelong within a lifelong allergy to cats, so <laughs> ain't finding any sympathy here. <laughs> it's useless things. 
Uh, Foy Coco is the fire apple crocodile that has the blaze ability and is, quote, laid back and does, thing at, does things at its own pace. You know. Like a real crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, while Quaxley rounding out this uh, starter description is the water duckling that has the torrent ability and, and is, quote, earnest and tidy, end quote. Is that what ducks are known to be? I, earnest and tidy? I don't know if earnest is really a quality I look for in my Pokemon. I don't I don't want them to be earnest and, you know, heartfelt and whatnot. I'm just looking... Genuine, making a genuine connection with your Pokemon. Yeah, I'm like, looking for strength and to, you know, destroy other Pokemon. Yeah. Oh, oh does it do, do so in a tidy fashion because it's that strong? It'll overpower everything and take six seconds? Sure, sure. Or is it just very, you know, fastidious and, and you know, slightly OCD? Who knows? So those are the, those are the starting Pokemon. Again, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet coming to the Violet. Yep. I'm trying to talk with a slightly full nose here, but uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet coming to the Switch in late 2022. And, uh, if you're like me and thinking, wow, doesn't this seem like a lot of Pokemon games? Yes, it does for the Switch. Yeah. And you might be thinking like, well, didn't they just like release like a bunch of them? A bunch of them? Yes, they did. You're not crazy. Pokemon has been the most prominent franchise on the Switch. Bar none. So, end of 2022, we'll have these two new games. January saw the release of Pokemon, release of Pokemon Legends Arceus. Last fall, saw the, uh, release of, uh, the Pokemon remakes of, uh, uh, can't remember what they were, but they were, uh, Diamond and Pearl remakes, I think they I were. I think something. so, yeah. Yeah. I've no Brilliant idea. Diamond and Shining yeah. Pearl. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's But right. remakes. Yeah. Uh, and then also last year saw the new Pokemon Snap game. And there's been uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield. And I had to look this up because I'm like, well, that the last ones weren't that old. No, they aren't. Sword and Shield came out in 2019. Yeah. But new Pokemon mainline games are basically on three-year development cycles. Okay, well, that's, so, I mean, that's a good cycle, and, you know, it's, if you're a fan of Pokemon, now is the time to be a fan of Pokemon, I guess. Absolutely. If you're a fan of the Elder Scrolls, well, <laughs> forget you, man. Back to your hole while you keep waiting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Pokemon fr- franchise just churning it out. So, yes, it's three years between mainline entries, but there's been a couple remakes. Uh, there's also been the Hey You Pikachu, Hey You Eevee games that were remakes of the f- very first Pokemon games. Those came to Switch. There's been, was Pokken Tournament DX, the Pokemon fighting game, like Pokemon Smash Brothers. Right. Or like Pokemon Cross Tekken. Pokemon Cross Tekken, exactly. Uh, there's a bunch of Pokemon in Smash Brothers. Yes. So, yeah, Pokemon is everywhere on the Switch. Absolutely everywhere. So if it seems like it's a never-ending barrage of Pokemon, you're right. You're not wrong. It's absolutely the case. Because it makes money. Yeah. Makes ass loads of cash. Yeah, when stuff makes that much money, you tend to want to favor the stuff that makes money because you're making money off of that stuff. Yes. It's basically business 101. Keep doing the things that make you lots of money. Yeah. And if it's not making lots of money, you do something different. Yeah, don't do that anymore. Period. Exactly. <laughs> so, and in fairness to the Pokemon company and Nintendo, the experience is are slightly different each time. Slightly. 
Well, it's not like Madden football or something where it's just like incremental change in a different roster. Or like Call of Duty. Yeah. Where it's almost the same experience year in, year out. Yeah, and people are just literally buying it for the new maps. Basically. Yeah. So they can play the new maps with their friends. So Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so something to look forward to. We'll bring you more details on Pokemon Scarlet and Violet as they become available. Uh, so TLDR, uh, we are not sold on the names. No. Scarlet and Violet. Sounds like a disgusting Bloody Mary or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the uh, starting Pokemon, eh, we'll see. Uh, there's a cat. I don't really care. Yeah. So it's it's going to aggravate my cat allergy and my grass allergy. Great. <laughs> So I have to take a reaction when I'm playing this game. Yeah. One of those nasal sprays. Yep. Good times. Thanks, Pokemon Company. What about people like us? (laughs) Yeah, did you think about that for a second, huh? Game freak? (laughs) Feels like I'm being left out and ignored, and I want to feel seen, okay? (laughs) Seen and validated. Yes. Moving on. Yeah, moving on. We're, uh... On to the next topic here that we're going to talk uh, about. Speaking of new game announcements, uh, trying to uh, try and catch as uh, much popularity as the Pokemon franchise is this franchise that has proven itself to be very popular, uh, is a staple of really any fighting game tournament and the fighting game community. And uh, it's also as hard to follow as in terms of its naming scheme <laughs> as the Pokemon franchise has been. Yes, it's jumped around quite a bit, but yeah. there's a mainline series that uh, at least they make it easy, Capcom does, because those are numbered entries. They announced uh, late in February that there's a new entry that will be released later on at some point. Uh, they will reveal more details this summer. Perhaps a release date will be included in there, but at least they've announced the existence of Street Fighter 6. Not Roman numeral 6, just number 6. Yeah, well, Street Fighter 5... And four also were not Roman numerals either, so. No, they weren't, I thought they were. No. Oh, well. Well, four, four might have been. I think four might have been. But five wasn't. Okay. From what I recall. But, yeah, it's, uh, anyway, Street Fighter. Street Fighter. And you, you know, you'd think, oh, with the new Street Fighter, you're gonna see, you know, the first characters you're probably gonna see are Ken and Ryu, right? Yeah. Well, no, you, you don't this time, which is weird. You see Ryu. Yeah, staple. Yeah, like staple. The, one of the most uh, identifiable, if not the kind of face of the franchise. Yeah, but for some reason, and they've decided Ken is a worn-out, yeah. tired trope, I guess, and they've moved on to Luke, which, you know, I'll be the first to admit I haven't followed Street Fighter really since, like, Street Fighter 2, so I'm <laughs> I'm way out of the loop here. Um, but Luke, uh, as we said before starting recording, you said he looks you like one of the Paul brothers? Yeah, he's uh, kind of a blonde uh, American fighter. Like Logan Paul? Like a Logan Paul, uh, Jake Paul. Uh, look, I think he's got like more of a kickboxing MMA kind of background is what they're trying to go for with that character as opposed to um, like a traditional uh, martial arts fighting style or something like that. Uh, looks kind of douchey. Not gonna lie, looks kinda douchey. Kinda like the Paul brothers. Like he'd be a live streamer and, uh, YouTube media sensation kinda deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and don't feel bad about not being too terribly familiar with who this Luke is. Uh, he's a new character that, uh, only came out in November for Street Fighter V in some of the last DLC for that game. So, he's new. He's new to the franchise, but for some reason, 
uh, instead of starting with him new in a brand new game, Capcom released him kind of at the tail end of Street Fighter V, but said at the time that he's, quote, the future of Street Fighter and, quote, a major part of the next Street Fighter game, end quote. So that's one approach to take with this, releasing someone who will be, you know, the face of the next game in the previous game. Well, there's nothing quite like, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> like, it's not like Street Fighter as a franchise has been known not as a one-character franchise, but mostly as, like, for its wide and diverse roster for the last 30 years. Why, 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 why not just totally change it up and make it totally different now, right? It's the time is right to totally ruin a tried-and-true formula. Absolutely. <laughs> Makes sense, I'm sure, to someone. So, yeah, Luke, the uh, one of the new characters is the face of the franchise going forward. And interesting that they would kind of take this approach of making this new Luke character such an important part of Street Fighter Six and perhaps subsequent Street Fighter games really kind of flies in the face of the diversifying times we see in media where not everything is going to be wrapped up in white male characters or white male individuals. Capcom going the other way and saying, you know what? No. The time for the white male character is now. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for a white male renaissance. (laughs) Great. And we at Capcom want to be at the forefront of that. Yeah. Not only do we want to forget about our diverse roster of characters that we've built up over the last 30 years, but we want to put all of our eggs in the wrong basket. <laughs> if you like the Paul brothers, and I know not too many of you do, that's not true. They're super popular. I I don't get it, but... Hey, it's possible for a lot of people to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> at the same time. But I feel like there's, at least in the circles I travel in, maybe because I'm a bit older, but more people don't like them than like them. Yeah, no, I I can see that and understand that, and I'm certainly in that boat, uh, uh, in that circle you're talking about. The the yeah, yep, <laughs> the less likely to like them than like them like them. Uh, they deliberately go out of their way to try be, try to be the biggest douche as possible. Yeah, and it somehow connects and finds an audience. Yeah. Remember when we used to live in polite society? <laughs> Oh, I, those days are gone. Oh, apparently. So, silly me. Again, old man here. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, now that being said, you know, with Capcom's insertion of Luke as one of the faces of Street Fighter going forward, the, the previous faces, as you mentioned, were Ken and Ryu. Ken himself, white blonde American male. Yeah, you already had a guy like that. Is it just the fact that he wasn't an MMA guy, more like a traditional... um Like karate? Like karate guy or whatever, like... Is the MMA like is now the time to try to lay into MMA? Like Wouldn't MMA that was like twenty, like fifteen years ago. Yeah, like MMA was popular and like at maybe the apex of its popularity. Yeah, like fifteen years ago, like when you know, people like Anderson Silva and George Saint Pierre and all them were like in their prime. Not now. It's settled into its niche. Yeah, but it's not. It doesn't have the mainstream explosiveness that it once no. had. No, certainly not, and. I mean, at the same time, there was less events, less weight classes, less fighters, so it's easier to have stars yeah. and focus on the few stars. Now there's like, feels like a dozen different weight classes, events every weekend. It's hard to keep up with. Yeah, it's kind of like where kickboxing in general was when MMA itself was super popular. 
almost impossible to follow too, because there was not like one unified like place to watch it. Like there was like a million different places that would hold mm-hmm. matches and stuff. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so side ran to side, but yes, yeah, Street Fighter Six. Uh, more will be known in the summer. All we know is that there's a 30 second teaser right now of Luke uh, starting a fight with Ryu, and yeah, also the logo has been completely changed for Street Fighter Six. So you know, in past Street Fighter games, uh, the logo is essentially just a very scripty word mark with a lot of uh, red, white, black, and yellow. Yeah. Uh, those being the predominant colors. Uh, but in a very exaggerated fashion, almost like over-exaggerated brush strokes and kind of got more exaggerated as the games went along. What was revealed in this teaser announcement is that Capcom taking an entirely different design approach for the logo with Street Fighter VI and making it look like it's the logo for an app on your phone or something. Yeah. Because it's kind of a honeycomb outline with the letters S and F inside. With a very basic word marker Street Fighter underneath it. Yes. Like, it's not even a serif, it's a sans serif font. Yeah. Yeah, there's no swirlies, just straight sans serif font. And the number six is just kind of added in slightly to like the, the five o'clock position. Yeah. If it was a phone app, six would be the notification count on the <laughs> app. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, so, that's a terrible logo, right? You're seeing it now. Yeah. It's... it's Considering kind of, what it was, it's it's weird because, you know, in the last few years, there have been, like... I can only speak to web design and stuff, and there have been a few trends that have happened. Like, at one point, stuff went too busy, and then as a result, the flat design kind of became super popular, but that was that in and of itself was about six, seven years ago now that flat design started to kind of really take over. So now we're at the point where it's sort of like back to who knows. I feel like color saturation and just richness of colors is uh, becoming a prominent design trend. Yeah. So this doesn't even follow with any current design trends. Like it really looks, it looks like it's, it looks like someone watched you know, every available episode of The Ultimate Fighter <laughs> from a few years ago and decided and, and like, got a bunch of ads on their, you know, social media feeds for, like, various, um, you know, supplement companies and mm-hmm. stuff and then really were inspired by that for some reason with the design here. It's very weird and very kind of, like, not only just unvideo game-like, but... Well, not only just un-Street Fighter-like, but also very un-video game-like. It's very strange. It's very much so. And to go from, like, the rich color scheme of, like, red, white, black, yellow, uh, that would be very noticeable, very, uh, you know, eye-catching with the previous word marks of Street Fighter games, what is shown at the end of the teaser is white on, like, gr- dark gray background. So, really muted and desaturated. Yeah, and if you look at the Street Fighter Six website, it literally looks like any of those dime a dozen like supplement company websites that you know maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't seen. Luckily, but it, could this be part of a, like a broader, more more cohesive effort on Capcom Capcom's part to really go after like the MMA crowd? Maybe are they but, losing market share in the fighting game space to the UFC games? But yeah, I mean. Is now the time? Like, are you not? Like, it feels like you've missed the boat on something, if that's the case. Yeah. 
considering the the design styles of the fighters are always overblown and cartoony. Yeah. There's nothing realistic about it. Right? I mean, you literally have guys shooting energy blasts out their hands. Yeah. You can't make a realistic MMA-style fighting game. No, I mean, like, Street Fighter, mind you, maybe they're also trying to shake the past because it was also, you know, you're you're tied to, like, at this point, 30 years of history, you know, and you're trying to maybe get away from some of that supernatural stuff because Street Fighter was kind of the analogous one to Mortal Kombat, and there was, like, lots of flight and fancy mm-hmm. in both. Like, you'd have, like, Bananas characters like, like Dalsim and... You know, energy key blasts and stuff were super common in everything, and the move sets of some of the characters were just like goofy. So, could this be Capcom's effort to maybe go the other way and try to be a bit more realistic, whereas this, this Mortal Kombat the- has gone off the goddamn deep end with violence and and just blood and gore? Maybe is this their gritty reboot of Street Fighter <laughs> finally? It looks like they're trying to make it. It is such, but I don't know. We don't know anything more than what the 30-second teaser has shown us. And even then, that's not a real lot. No. Uh, so more will be announced, as I said, by Capcom in the summertime. So we'll have more to criticize then. Yeah. And oh, ho- definitely. And hopefully the logo is just like a placeholder logo. But in in the aftermath of the reveal of uh, the Street Fighter 6 teaser... It was shown by a few people online that, yeah, this is actually extremely similar to something you can buy from, like, Adobe stock images or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind of feel like this may not have gone through a review process. Probably not. And just kind of like, yes, we need something simpler, more (laughs) app-like. And here we go. Yeah. Though, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I get more supplement company vibes than app. Or, like, the app that a supplement company would have put out as, like, a companion that has, like, their three or four workouts that they put or something. I I don't know. Yeah, where you can track your, uh, you know, how much you took at what point and log your intake of said uh, creatine supplement or something. Or recovery booster. Yeah. (laughs) Pre-workout, whatever, protein. Yeah. 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 Anyways, we've all seen that stuff before. Like, it's... But that's the vibes I'm getting. But anyways... It, it's kind of uninspired regardless. It looks very stock. Hugely uninspired. Like, very stock. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. It's easy to ignore it. Yeah. And that's not usually what Street Fighter logos have been. No. Street Fighter logos are usually, like, loud and just, like, ostentatious. Like, oh, we're, we're, sp- like, it look, it literally always looks like a splatter of, like, ink or something just in the middle of a thing where you're like, wait, what? Oh, it's Street Fighter. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I guess if the theme is like we're putting all of our eggs into this one new character, maybe they're trying to escape the past. Maybe it's maybe it's a big rebrand. Maybe we're maybe Street Fighters. Maybe Street Fighter Six isn't even going to be a fighting game. Who knows? Open world RPG. <laughs> it's literally a man who fights actually against anthropomorphized streets. <laughs> The streets are coming alive and just like... You know, the more streets you, you defeat, the more XP you gain, the stronger you get, um, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> and each of the other uh, Street Fighter characters are like leaders of like a kingdom or a castle or something. <laughs> Welcome to Zangiefland. <laughs> 
Uh, aren't you just a Russian guy? Yeah. No! <laughs> the currency is bison dollars. <laughs> yes. Bisonopolis. <laughs> I think we just made the game better. Oh, yeah. There's no way that anything they've, they're going to be coming out with is as interesting as this. Based on the word mark, based on all the stuff that we've seen, no. Just throwing it out there. Maybe you should talk to us next time, Capcom <laughs> yeah. development team. Yeah. Yeah, if you want more ideas, we'll charge you, but uh, we can negotiate something. Email us, info at the com. Moving right along, uh, something else that uh, will be coming out is the Playdate from Panic, the company that is putting out the little micro uh, handheld machine that is uh, the, the quaint little square that has the uh, crank on the side of it. Yep. Yeah, it's bright yellow. It looks really fun. And they're taking a really unique, unique approach to it in that they're releasing seasons of games and they're making it very developer-friendly in trying to have as many people as possible able to bring their ideas to this platform. So much so that they this week announced that the development kit for the Playdate is now available to the public, and it's free. Yeah. I played around a little bit with a couple of the tools so far. They're very user-friendly. Like, some of them are all web-based, actually. Like, I tried their song composition. Mm -hmm. Part, and it's, yeah, it's just an entirely online thing. Yeah, it's really cool, but if you are a developer type like myself, you might want to dig a little bit further in. Uh, the software development kit is available for Mac, PC, and Linux, all free of charge. And that software development kit includes C and Lua APIs, uh, alongside a simulator for local development profiling and more. And yeah, that simulator, you're going to need it because <laughs> they haven't really shipped any of the units yeah, yet. Yeah, so you can't test anything without it. Yeah, so yeah, it lets developers preview their projects, including crank mechanics as they develop without needing uh, the actual hardware. And yeah, that SDK also includes a tool for creating fonts, reams of helpful documentation, example code, blah, blah, blah. All the things that you would expect from SDK documentation and API documentation. And yeah, in a quote here, uh, the full Playdate SDK is for folks already comfortable with coding, but we've worked hard to make it as easy and approachable as we can. It gives you two choices of languages, Lua for a higher level scripting language experience, or C for improved performance. Uh, this is what Panic explained in a thread on Twitter, where you'll also find more dev tips. And they continued, it's also packed with helpful functions for things like font handling, drawing, animation, sprites, tile maps, collision detection, uh, uh a pathfinding, uh, audio synthesis, crank handling, of course, and really quite a lot more. End quote. So, yeah, there's, they've really thought about stuff here. Uh, yeah. So based on your interaction with the, the Playdate SDK here, you know, for a little bit, I mean, you didn't necessarily go hours on end here. No, no. I, I think I looked at it for about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, what level of experience does someone maybe need to have to start really earnestly playing around with the the SDK? Well, I I mean, depending on what they have, I I didn't actually see if they have any tutorials, but like this, you know, if you don't know any code at all, you're going to want to look at Pulp, which is their almost no code in browser development tool. Okay, that aims to make uh you know projects just in a quick, like, very quick kind of like drag and drop kind of fashion. Mm -hmm. But if you know code a little bit, at least, you know, you're, you're going to need to know some code to dig into a software development kit. That's just, you know. That's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of the beast, exactly. So, 
Yeah, and it sounds like the Lua scripting one is going to be more if you're, you know, if, if you're less familiar with certain things, you might want that. Whereas if you're more familiar, go for the C programming, even though you're probably getting into like <laughs> memory addresses and things at that point. But yeah, you're, uh, it seems pretty cool that they're releasing it all for free. Absolutely. This is rather, uh, largely unprecedented, say, in the video game community for a company to release the SDK for their system to the public. Like, normally you have to be an established studio, uh, and you'll be sent some sort of hardware. And you have to buy, like, a development pass or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Like, authorization. With, yeah, with Apple, you have to, like, pay for, like, a licensing certificate and all that stuff, and depending on what, how much money you're making and not, whatnot, it could be prohibitively expensive. So for it to be totally free and open to the public, this could also be a good way for someone to get their feet wet at making games. Absolutely. Cause I mean, we've, we've seen the display on this thing. It's not, it doesn't look like, I think by the design of it, it's meant to kind of make things more simple. Mm-hmm. So like it's a black and white display. There's not really a lot to it. Which doesn't mean that you can't do a lot with it, but there's not a lot to it, so it kind of forces you to kind of not overthink things. So if you're going to make a game, 2D, kind of more simple game, focus more on the game rather than all the... Lush visuals. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, the, the graphics seem like an upgraded old Game Boy. Yeah. And we... I mean, the old Game Boy still had great experiences on it. Yeah, so exactly. Uh, so if this is something you're interested in, uh, we link to it on our website, thearcadeshow.com, and uh, you can download the SDK there, uh, look into it more. And uh, Panic has been really good about uh, having you know, tutorials, information, and just being forthright with information and, and tools and whatnot to bring people along. They want there to be a wide array of developers or games being developed for the play date. Yeah. So this isn't necessarily like a large scale platform, like a, a Switch or a PS5 or something where uh, the platform holder can be selective. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I think it'll be cool anyways, so. Yeah, really interesting. The Playdate machine itself, the small little cute square, uh, is slated to have its first wave of, uh, systems being sent out in early 2022. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I know you're in for one already. Yeah, I, I just missed the mark of the first 20,000. I, I think mine was in the 21 or 22,000 of people, so I think I'm the second batch after that first batch. So but- later in the year. Yeah, I, I think la- – I don't remember what the exact email said, but I think October was what they were kind of slating for mine. Okay. Which is a little bit of a ways off, but whatever. Supply chains, what can you do? Yeah, exactly. At least it's – at least you know you'll you know be getting one at some point this year and you weren't at the back end yeah. know, sometime in 2023. Or I'm not just considering getting one now and <laughs> – who knows when that'll happen? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, interesting. We'll uh, bring you more about the uh, play date uh, as we learn more about it. Uh, but some entertainment video game related information here to close out this episode of the arcade. Uh, there's a new Sonic the Hedgehog movie coming out sometime this spring. I think April is when the 
Uh, second one, appropriately titled Sonic the Hedgehog 2, comes out, and that sequel to the popular live-action Sonic movie will see the inclusion of Tails to the movie, but as well as Knuckles, voiced by Idris Elba. Which still blows my mind. I, what's the conversation? A, that leads to Idris Elba, and B, that you have with Idris Elba, or at least his agent first. Yeah. <laughs> like that, I don't understand how that happened. I mean, good on them for doing it, but like, you've snagged one of like, I'm just gonna say one of the best actors out there right now. A man with immense acting gravitas. And like, uh, his pedigree is bananas, like, he was on the wire. Like, for God's sakes, like, <laughs> The Wire, Luther. Yeah, like, but I mean, people consider The Wire one of, one of the best shows yes. ever made. Yep. So how did you get an actor from that to be in your video game thing? That's bananas. Voicing a cartoon character. Yeah. Sure. Okay. What was the pitch? Hey, it's, you know, only like four days of work. Here's this big sum of money. Probably. Like, okay, sure. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'll do anything for money. <laughs> Is what I would, picturing it is what I hope would actually happen. It's like, yeah, well, of course, that makes sense. That's I fine. have seen he did do a, a spot for the Super Bowl for, I think, Booking.com. Yeah. So. So good for him. He's not open to uh, accepting a paycheck. He is open to oh, accepting a paycheck. he is open. Yeah. He's not against, excuse he's me. He's not against accepting a paycheck. There he is. He's yes. definitely open. So, but uh, not only is he uh, voicing the character of Knuckles, that character of Knuckles as per an announcement that was uh, put out uh, a couple weeks ago, that character of Knuckles getting its very own TV show. In addition to the information that came out, that there's a third movie that is going to be coming in the Sonic the Hedgehog movie universe. A, sequ- uh, a third movie already announced. Uh, I believe the third movie will come to the theaters, while the TV series has been announced as something that will come to the Paramount Plus uh, streaming service which is available in Canada, but it's certainly on the lower end of things. Yeah. In the, you know, hierarchy of services you're going to get if you're a cable cutter. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there. well, there's no shortage of things out there to spend five plus dollars a month on these days anyways. But yeah, yeah. Paramount Plus is one of them. It's an option. Yeah. So uh, we don't know if Idris Elba is uh, going to... Uh, well, well it, yeah, we don't know if he's going to be Knuckles for the whole TV series or not. Well, actually, sorry, as I'm just kind of reading along here, I, I confused myself. I didn't think he was initially, but in the press release, uh, it was said that, uh, by Paramount Pictures, they confirmed that Idris Elba, who stars doing the voice of Knuckles in this second Sonic movie, uh, will reprise his role as Knuckles in the live action TV series that airs on Paramount Plus. Okay, well, never mind. There we are. So, I guess that's how you justify the big amount of money you had to pay to Idris Elba to get him. You just keep using him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, pay him more money and just to really blow it down that sunk cost and now, like sunk cost hole? Exactly. Well, we spent this much on him already. We might as well keep spending. <laughs> Uh, Sega CEO Haruki Satomi said in a statement, quote, we've got a remarkable partnership with Paramount and we are excited to continue expanding the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise with them, end quote. So don't know if Idris Elba will be back for the third movie. I'd imagine so. Probably the third one they'll bring in, I'm going to guess, Shadow the Hedgehog or something. Who knows? 
But, uh, or yeah. maybe Metal Sonic or something. Yeah, or, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of, uh, streaming French, streaming platforms that, uh, are down on the list that you're probably not gonna <laughs> have, but, you know, will need to watch new things, there's another video game franchise that's also getting, um, the live action TV, or assuming it's gonna be live action TV, uh, treatment, uh, and that, it's not one that you would have thought would have been maybe a top of mind thing to do. I believe, I, I think we've talked about this in the past, but you know, you probably forgot. There's very, a lot that's transpired. There, there's a lot that's been, that's transpired in the last two, three years. Um, hell, last two, three months. Yeah. Last two, three days, <laughs> really. <Ooh. laughs> Depending on where you're from and who you're talking to about what. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 t- the franchise is Twisted Metal, and it's getting a TV series on NBC's Peacock streaming service for some reason, and it's been greenlit. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it's a whole season that they're getting. Mm-hmm. And uh, for, you know, 10, 13 episodes or so. We talked about this, I think, last year or a year before when it was announced as being something... Uh, as being a project that was in production. Or in development, In maybe? development, yeah. It didn't have a home yet, but at the time we talked about it, Anthony Mackie, who played Falcon in the Avengers movies, and as well as uh, Falcon in the Winter Soldier on Disney+, Plus, uh, he will be starring in this Twisted Metal series, playing the role of John Doe, who is basically a man who has to you know, make his way through this you know, Mad Max-type hellscape of a future city. Yeah. And deliver a package and hopefully, you know, find his freedom and, and get the hell out of Dodge. So, uh, he's in this. He's also an executive producer on the show. And now we know, uh, the home for it is on the Peacock streaming service, which, uh, I believe is, uh, not the first time they're getting into the video game themed, uh, TV series projects because the Peacock service is also where the, uh, adaptation of Frogger found right. a home. Frogger, the game Frogger got turned into not a video game show, but like a game show in the vein of like Wipeout or something. Yeah. Or or like, you know, The Floor is Lava from Netflix. But it also kind of makes sense that one for NBC, because if you think about classic Seinfeld, there was that whole Seinfeld episode about Frogger. Getting Frogger across the street. Yeah. The, The arcade machine, yes. I can see that. So, yeah. So NBC's Peacock getting in... With the Twisted Metal franchise. Yeah. Sure. Good for them. All right. So Sony, and I think we're going to see this more and more with Sony licensing out their properties for development. The Uncharted movie just came out a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, There's The Last of Us in development at HBO. Now the Twisted Metal series being uh, put onto the Peacock streaming service. So I'm sure there's more and more we're going to see coming out. Well, I think like comic books, video games, maybe just took a while to kind of, for a certain old guard to maybe die out in terms of Hollywood. And now that people who are in charge are kind of like our age and they've grown up playing video games, maybe they're now, maybe we're at that point finally where they're finally going to get that, you know, extra time in the sun just to kind of really be the thing that is hammered over the next, you know, 25 years, <laughs> video game adaptations. But that's not to say that any of these are necessarily going to be the breakout Marvel cinematic universe that really cemented what, you know, comic books potential in movies or anything like that. But we'll see. I, I guess now 
the, the hunt for that is on, it seems. If we're seeing Twisted Metal as being a franchise that's being kind of, uh, mined for, you know, story, story, <laughs> like, just think of how many other, like, actually good stories are out there in video games. Like, The Last of Us might be it. Absolutely, and I think that's probably why it's on HBO. Yeah, uh, where they can give some real depth and and weight to the stories, and they don't shy away from dealing in dark, bleak ma- material. Yeah, so not everyone will be like that, but I feel like all these other services are kind of playing catch up to where Netflix is. Yeah, Netflix is way the hell gone with uh, accepting and doing video game adaptations. Like, there's the Castlevania anime, yeah. uh, there's the... Which was very good, by the way, if you never no, watched it. I, I haven't, actually. Yeah. Uh, there's the Witcher series. Yep. Uh, also th- very good. Again, haven't watched it. I don't watch a lot of things. Yeah. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm bad for that, I know. That's fair. So, I'm, I don't have time, I'm busy shoveling. <laughs> always shoveling snow. Yes, always shoveling, never not shoveling. <laughs> It's true. I'm like Sisyphus, just put, pushing a giant snowball up the hill. Yeah, until it, you know, rolls off over the other side. Then you're like, oh, I have to go get it from over there now. <sighs> Basically, yes. Except Sisyphus never was able to buy a snowblower. That's true. But Matt, imagine how much easier his life would have been. Yeah. If he was pushing up a boulder with a snowblower. Or he was able to, like, build, like, an actual platform for the thing to stay at top. You know, then he could actually stop pushing the stupid boulder. But then again, you know, we wouldn't have the philosophical thing of what Sisyphus was, etc., etc. All of that. So, yeah, I get it. Fair enough. So, uh, yeah, but I, I imagine we'll see more and more. There's still the, the Mario, Super Mario Brothers movie that's uh, in development uh, through DreamWorks and, or uni- Universal, excuse me. And, yeah, so, hell, Nintendo franchises really haven't been tapped that much, so... Yeah, we'll see more and more of this as, as he said, as the old guard kind of die off or get out of the way. And it's, it's more and more accepted that these franchises have built in audiences and yeah. built in appeal. So there you go. And they haven't really been in mind yet. So, uh, there is that. So we'll bring you more details about them, you know, as the actors and roles get cast and whatnot as uh, time goes along. And, uh, certainly you can listen to that here, uh, in future episodes. Yeah. But for the here and now, we want to take a few minutes and, uh, look backward in time and, uh, talk about some things that are old that we experienced when they were new. Yeah. Mostly. Uh, yeah, mostly. <laughs> uh, that might be new to you. Perhaps, uh, they've fallen off your radar. Perhaps they are things you've never experienced before. Uh, this is the blast from the past, the segment of the show where we, uh, pick out some, some movies, uh, pieces of music, video games, or TV series that are celebrating milestone anniversaries and just kind of wax nostalgic about them for a few minutes. And we have two items in this segment this week. Both of them are movies. Uh, one is noticeably older than the other. Uh, one you and I saw in the theater together. One you and I have watched many times on DVD together. Yes. Uh, where would you like to start this week? Uh, maybe we'll start with the older of the two. Uh, all right. The older of the two will take us back to March 6th of 1987, for that was the, the day that the world got to see Mel Gibson and Danny Glover team up for the first time in a Richard Donner movie. That movie was Lethal Weapon. Yeah, and you might be thinking, it was only a few weeks ago that we talked a little bit about this on this program, but yeah, that's fine. Here it is. <laughs> We're going to talk about it again. 
Um, if you want, like, I feel like we went pretty in-depth with it last time, but uh, this time I guess we don't really need to go super in-depth. Just, uh, just as a re- reaffirmation of, you know, what it is and why it's worth checking out. Yeah, so Lethal Weapon, um, I'm not going to say it's the first buddy cop action comedy thriller movie ever made, but that's the type of movie it was, and, you know, it's, uh, yeah, like you said, directed, co-produced uh, by Richard Donner, who was known for the first, I believe, two Superman movies before he was kind of taken off that project. We're talking like... You know, in the Chris, 70s. In the 70s, like old, old Superman, like yeah. 80s, Christopher Reeves Superman, not like current Superman or anything like that. Um, yeah, written by Shane Black and co-produced by Joel Silver. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an action comedy thriller film. Gary Busey's the bad guy. Um, it's, uh, it's a very weird movie, but it's very interesting. It's enjoyably weird. Yeah. Like, it's weirder, I think, on my most recent rewatch, as I was watching it, you know, with my partner, she'd never really seen any of these movies before, but like, you know, I, I had them on my Christmas list, cause I'm like, I don't think I can find these on any streaming service, and I haven't seen them in a long time, so she got me the, the Blu-ray set, so I was like, oh, cool. So then we finally <laughs> rewatched them, you know, a few weeks ago, and she made the comment, it's just like, the tone of these movies are very, very <laughs> weird. Yes, uh, just all about them. Uh, like the, the tone, the energy is weird. There's wild swings in tone and energy. I mean, it's supposed to be a buddy cop movie, but there's wildly mismatched energies between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. Yeah. Like the, the, the recurring jokes are that Mel Gibson's character is a loose cannon. You know, you never really know what to expect and that Danny Glover's character is, you know, Super close to retirement. He's kind of like an old cop just basically checked out, but also for some reason, they're the only two cops that really give a shit <laughs> for some reason. And they're just kind of together. They're paired up and punished for that fact. <laughs> Cause they're the it's only true. one. Like it's like for that. I don't know how realistic. Well, obviously they're not realistic. There's bananas explosions and like the property damage in these movies is like classic eighties. Like action movie well, yeah. property damage. Houses, uh, several houses will get blown to smithereens. Yeah, houses, cars are destroyed, boats are destroyed, like cars are just totaled, driven into like harbors and stuff. Like explosions are unrealistic as well. Like oh, you yeah. see, you see cars flip over and explode for some reason. That doesn't happen with cars, by the way. If they're well constructed cars, like where the gas tank is is nowhere near. Like, why would it explode that way? Like, it doesn't make... Anyways. Um, but yeah, the, when he said there's wild swings of, like, tone, it'll go from just lighthearted, like, Three Stooges-style, like, slapstick comedy to now there's a scene in this movie where Mel Gibson's character, for some reason, is almost attempting suicide. Like, gun in his mouth, intense music playing... What? <laughs> what is this movie? What is it trying to be? <laughs> like, like, what the hell's happening here? It's a buddy cop movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then ultimately there's a case that comes along where the two of them investigate. Uh, isn't it like illegal guns being distributed in LA or something? 
Something like that. I don't remember. They all kind of blend together. I, I watched them yeah. pretty close together again recently, but it's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes, because as the course of their investigation into this too, some, uh, uh, you know, CD criminal organization, they get their hands on Mel Gibson and his character, uh, they kidnap him. And start torturing him. And start torturing him. In a brutal torture scene. Yes. Yeah. In a buddy cop action comedy. Yeah. But there's a brutal torture scene where he's basically being waterboarded and like electrocuted, you know, electrocuted, hooked up to a car battery, literally like <laughs> it's bananas, truly bananas. But then there's also like snappy one-liners and as you as you said, like three Stooges style slapstick and comedy and jokes and it's all over the place. Yeah, it's a ride. Yeah, it's an absolute ride. Yeah. Does that, it might almost sound like we're disparaging it though. I would recommend watching it. If you're a fan of 80s action movies, it holds up in terms of like the action and everything. It's hard to compare to other movies. Yeah. Just given the wild swings of tone, energy, and the energy especially that Mel Gibson brings to it. Yeah, it's truly manic. Yeah. Like it's all over the place. Like there's an intensity to it too. Yeah. That sure there's been, uh, subsequent, uh, lethal, uh, lethal weapon adaptations is like for TV. It's not the same thing. No. Like a lot of what made this movie what it was, was Mel Gibson being a crazy asshole. <laughs> like. And Danny Glover being just the old, I've seen way too much over it kind of cop slash actor. Yeah. So it's a wild ride. Worth it. The first three Lethal Weapon movies are worth watching. Yeah. Uh, the fourth I remember being okay as well. The fourth I haven't seen. Yeah. I, I saw it once. I mean, it's more comedy than... Like, they, they got funnier as they went on. Like when, yes. Once they, you know, established Joe Pesci as a main character, then eventually Chris Rock as a main character. Like, it, they got funnier. Like, the comedy focus was a lot more than, you know, the weird <laughs> tones of, like... Let's see this guy attempting suicide. <laughs> like, like, it's just weird. But no, it, it's if you want to see, it's a, it's hard to explain. And also, I think this is one of the first movies that saw the pairing of uh, Michael Kamen and uh, Eric Clapton for movie soundtrack stuff. That's true. Including, I mean, I think Fisher King might have been the first, but they, the Lethal Weapon soundtrack is basically unmistakable in terms of like tone. A lot of sax, uh, saxophone stingers. Yeah, saxophone stingers, and like whenever like a serious scene happens, you hear those bluesy guitar runs, just like, <laughs> you hear like the strings swell up, and then like a Eric Clapton, kind of, you're like, oh, serious heartfelt scene is happening now. <laughs> There's that Eric Clapton guitar run there happening. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. I, it sounds like we're making fun of it, and we are, but it's still worth watching. But we enjoy it. We yeah. really enjoy it. But I don't know. It is hard to say because, like, you know, <laughs> I was talking to my partner about after. She's like, I don't actually know if I enjoyed it, and I don't know if I disliked it. it like, I think it was a lot to process in terms of it tone. Is. Like, it's very weird. Very, like... It's weirder than you'd think it would be, given it's, like, if you look at any of the promotional materials, you'd think, oh, it's just a straight-up whatever action movie. But no, it's weird. Like, it's trying to be, like, a Honeymooners, but, like, 
cop action movie, but the characters are mismatched and they of course have to come together and, and figure their situation out, but they're wildly mismatched. Like they're not just slightly mismatched, like, oh, one's a neat freak and the other's a slob. One no, one's like I will stay up for like twenty four hours because I'm distressed about the death of my wife, and the other one's like, I got kids and a house and a wife to get home to. And I'm retiring in a couple of years. Yeah. So I'm just getting my boat ready for that. <laughs> the SS Live Forever. forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but but yeah, it, I don't know. It's uh, yeah, I can recommend it. I think you can as well. Absolutely, I can. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead and you know seek it out, and let us know if it is as weird as we're thinking or we're overthinking it. Just let us know. Info at the arcade show dot com, or probably more likely get at us on social media. Yeah, uh, we are at the arcade show on both the evil platforms of Twitter and Facebook. Uh, but our second and last blast from the past this week uh, brings us to March 9th of the year 2007. Uh, this is an honest to goodness comic book movie. Yeah. Uh, back before that's well, around the time when it was really starting to ramp up. In terms of, uh, what movie studios were producing and releasing, uh, this is the movie that really, I think, helped launch Zack Snyder into the pantheon of, uh, of directing. Yeah. You know, he'd done some stuff, but this really kind of was like, whoa, a lot of people took notice because this movie made a buttload of money on yeah. a tight budget. And the movie we're talking about is 300. Yeah. I I think we also talked about this movie on this program back in the original run because you know it came out in 2007 we started doing this program in 2006 and we probably like I feel like at the time the comment I had was I can only imagine what the casting call looked like for this movie <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> we're making this movie about you know the the Spartan army uh so we basically need 300 ripped dudes. I don't know if that's how many people they actually got and to what degree computer manipulation was used to make it look like more people. Mm-hmm. But when you look, like, there's a couple of battle scenes in this movie where they just do a pen and all you see is, like, abs. <laughs> you're like, how many actors in Hollywood at that time were known for that? Like, it's super common now, but then I feel like it wasn't really, like, the perception of what, like, a ripped, big, in-shape dude was, wasn't quite that yet. No, I don't think it was, and I think they perhaps turned to, uh, maybe fell out a lot of the background in lesser roles, maybe non-speaking parts, maybe a lot of, you know, athletes, bodybuilders, uh, bodybuilders like yeah. just people who already had that shape and just needed to stand around and look ripped. Yeah. Because that's what the 300 army was depicted as in this film. They're basically wearing loincloths in every scene. Yeah. Loincloths and a cape. Loincloths, a cape, and very pronounced abs. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, can you emote pronounced abs? Good, then you're hired. Yes. Like, but yeah, it's, yeah, I, I honestly don't actually remember a lot about this movie, which is probably a sign I should probably go back and rewatch it, but. I mean, it is 15 years old. Yeah, but it's, uh, I remember enjoying it at the time. Oh, it's, like, it's a, Ridiculous, somewhat mindless action movie, uh, that, uh, is based on, on the story of, of the 300 Spartan warriors who, who basically f- 
fended off an entire incursion by, uh, at the time attempted to fend off, uh, an invasion by, uh, like a Persian army. And, uh, ultimately they all died. Their tale was told and, and ultimately yada, yada. They, they became immortalized in history. It's based on a Frank Miller graphic novel. Yeah. And so it's got a very unique and distinct visual style to it as well, as opposed to being maybe like a stuffy British cinema retelling of something that happened in ancient Greece. Or just like Gladiator 2, basically. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's, it feels like it, everything is done in sepia tone in the movie. Yeah. Like, cause it's not black and white, it's bronze and white. Yeah, it's bronze and white. Or bronze and black with red blood. But it was very kind of incongruent in tone because it was sepia tone, but it was very fast paced. Oh yeah. Like the action was like fast zooms type like action on occasion, you know, after something intense happened, goes into slow motion. Like, just to show, like, the intensity of maybe someone getting punched or knocked into a... Or a spear running through them. Yeah. So, like, you know, when you think of Zack Snyder stuff, this was also very as much a Zack Snyder movie, visually and everything. Oh, absolutely. He he tried to emulate the uh, graphic style of Frank Miller from the source material, but apply it to a live-action medium, and I think he succeeded... But this didn't have a big budget for, like, a big, you know, action comic book movie, but it ended up making hundreds of millions of dollars, and then people were all clamoring for uh, Zack Snyder to, you know, to work with Zack Snyder on his next movie. And I think because of this film and its success, he got to do the Watchmen movie. Yeah. Which I think was his kind of passion project that he wanted to do afterward, but 300... I mean, largely, it's kind of a mindless action movie where, like, there's ripped dudes, there's fight scenes, heads get chopped off, but it's a ridiculously enjoyable ride. Yeah. And it's interesting to note that uh, a couple of the people who are in this cast of this movie kind of have gone on to become, like, huge stars. Like, Lena Headey was Queen Gorgo in this movie. We now know her as more, you know, more recently as Cersei Lannister. From True. Game of Thrones. Michael Fassbender was in this movie as a young, spirited, highly skilled Spartan soldier. And, you know. Michael you know, Fassbender was in this? Yeah. Hot right? damn. So it's just like. No idea. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Everyone knows who Michael Fassbender is now. Certainly. I mean, Gerard but, Butler was in this. Obviously, he was the lead, but. You know, King Leonidas. Yeah, King Leonidas. He was the one. He was the abs plastered over every poster. Yeah. I don't think he's maintained those abs since then, which is not a slight against him, but it's a slight against the crazy diet required to keep abs. Oh, God, yeah. You were basically on, like, you know, a a Dwayne Johnson, The Rock-style bodybuilder diet for months beforehand. And, you know, the the joke of, like, the chicken, rice, and broccoli when you're actually taking some sort of supplements and stuff, like, you, like, (laughs) as we now know, it's kind of like an open secret that a lot of steroid usage had to happen and has to happen with a lot of these actors. And I'm sure this was maybe the start of it. <laughs> I'd imagine because before this, like when you think of like, when you look back at movies from the seventies and eighties, when you see like the big tough guys, you're like, those just look like regular dudes. Like Bruce Willis in, in the diehard movies. Yeah. Like he's not bodybuilder shape. Like, yeah, he's, he's an in shape. Like he looks like he's an athletic guy, but he's not like 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, for God's no. sakes. Or what we just talked about, uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. Yeah, it's like they're not super impressively physiqued guys. No. Like, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting, and it's a weird kind of uh, turning point movie, and you wouldn't think that this would be the turning point movie. Because 300 was, I mean, may have been a popular graphic novel, but it hadn't really achieved any sort of, like, wider place in, in the public consciousness. No, like, in terms of movies, when people think of, like, you know, the classic movies of the last 15, 20 years, this is never going to make a list. Certainly not. Like, it was just like, oh, yeah, that that action movie about the, the Spartan warriors. Okay, great. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. In my head, I'm like, this movie is like, after this movie, you, like, when we saw, like, you know, the ripped menacing guys, they actually looked more like bodybuilders after this point. So mm-hmm. it's like, hmm, maybe this movie had an impact somehow. Entirely possible. I mean, look at the portrayal around that time of, uh, Superman. When Brian Singer did the Superman movie, Superman Returns, Superman was not a buff character. The, the actor who played him was Brandon Routh. Uh, he played the the vegan boyfriend in Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah. You know, the vegan ex-boyfriend. So he's not a big guy. He's tall, but he's not ripped. But when you saw him in the Superman movie, he was still very, you know, slender framed. But then compared to what we got later on with like Henry Cavill yeah. as Superman and he, the shoulders are much broader. He's clearly worked out and yeah, Henry, out. Henry Cavill knows how to lift weights. <laughs> Like in between playing Warhammer sessions, yeah, <laughs> or while he's playing Warhammer, yeah, pretty much he uses it to get into character of like I don't know anything about Warhammer, but yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So three hundred. I mean, it's like it was a popular movie at the time. It like you know, fed a lot into a lot of memes, uh, like the whole "This is Sparta" thing. Yeah, this is Sparta. This is Cake Town. Yeah, <laughs> on YouTube uh, and things of that nature. Uh, spawned a sequel many years after the fact. After after the popularity of this was long dormant. Yeah, I think Three Hundred Rise of Sparta, which I saw in theater. I, f- I don't remember if I saw it or not. I I saw it with someone else. I did not go with you. It was kind of one of those things where like so I know. Someone else I knew was going, and I'm like, eh, fine, I'll go. Uh, I think you told me after the fact it sucked. It was god-awful garbage, <laughs> because Gerard Butler was not in it, and King Leonidas was not in it, and it, it's what take place took place after the Battle of 300, Battle of the 300, so... and But some of the story is kind of set around the same time, so there's a lot of instances where the main character kind of just arrives after King Leonidas slash Gerard Butler has just left and, you know, his ship just sailed and whatever else. And it was all over the place and not good and not a necessary sequel it, it, at all. Also, I remember sitting in the theater watching the movie and turning to my my friend I saw with, at a couple of points, there's like ships sailing out at nighttime and just being really enraged at how large the moon was. <laughs> I'm like, if the moon's actually that close to Earth, shit's about to go down. Something bad has happened. Like, the water is not that still if the moon is that close to Earth. Like, yeah, that's the detail I remember. The movie <laughs> itself was forgettable garbage, so don't see it. Watch 300 instead. Yeah. I'm sure you can find it on whatever stream ser- streaming service. Uh, maybe you have the DVD kicking around in your collection somewhere. Which I think I do. Come to think about it. Eh, you might. Yeah. Very well, mate. So, uh, it's an enjoyable action movie. Yeah. Worth your time to watch again and, uh, make yourself feel bad for the fact you're not in such ridiculous shape. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After this, go on the, after watching it, go on the chicken, broccoli, and rice diet. And, uh, when that doesn't work, just get upset with yourself and just eat some ice cream. <laughs> just yeah. accept defeat. Exactly. So, uh, 300, worth your time. It's entertaining. It's 15 years old. Before that, we spoke about the Lethal Weapon movie, the first one in the franchise. It's 35 years old. An enjoyable ride, but a very different ride you go on. Yeah. Very weird ride. A very weird ride, but it's not without its charms and quirks and uh, qualities as well. So uh, let us know your thoughts about that. Do you think 300 still holds up after 15 years? Is Lethal Weapon a weird ride? Are we overthinking it? Let us know. You can e- email us in the long form, info at the arcade show dot com, or hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter. We are on Facebook at the arcade show on both those platforms. And if you haven't done so already, give yourself the gift of subscribing to this program on iTunes, on Google Play. Direct pages to our links on both of those platforms can be found on our homepage of the arcade show dot com. So until next time, everybody. Good night. Good night.